Welcome to Film Grain, the official podcast of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and the Greater Erie Film Office. We preview productions and events in the region and speak with creative entrepreneurs as Erie carves out its part in the wider industry landscape. But at this time, there aren't any film productions or events going on, nor are there anywhere. As Film Grain continues through the COVID-19 virus pandemic, we're reminded that 125 years ago yesterday, on March 22nd, 1895, the Lumiere brothers showed their first short film to an audience of approximately 10 people in Lyon, France. The short film was titled Workers Leaving the Lumiere Factory, and you can look it up on YouTube. This historic anniversary falls on a date when America has closed most theaters in the country, a sad but necessary change of life. Sure, there's some renegade independently owned theaters that still operate in the shadows and drive-ins, which we'll talk about in a little bit, are starting to become more important, but we're in the midst of something we've only experienced before in the movies. I'm John Lyons, filmmaker, teaching artist, and director of programming for the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania. I'm Erica Berlin, the executive director of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania. I'm Stuart Nash, filmmaker, cinematographer, guild member, and the director of the Greater Erie Film Office. And I'm Jesse Olszewski, filmmaker and project coordinator at the Greater Erie Film Office. This This week. (laughs) Jinx. So this week, we're going to share the latest news on COVID-19, as if people don't know, but we're going to talk about how it relates to the film industry. And since we're all cooped up indoors for the foreseeable future, we're going to help you navigate this ocean of content out there on all the streaming services. So we're starting a new segment where we're each going to watch a feature film and the first three episodes of a series. We're going to watch it together, as in the four of us. And then we're gonna invite you, the listener, to watch as well. And we're gonna discuss it together. So this week we watched Candyman, 1992 Candyman, available on Netflix, and the first three episodes of Devs on Hulu. So we're gonna get into that a little bit later, but I just wanna ask you guys, like, how's everyone doing in the, in the crisis, in the pandemic? How are we doing? What year is it? What, <laughs> what, what day is it? <laughs> I literally do not know the days anymore, actually. That is kind of real. It's Great. Monday. We're having our meeting. No. <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah, All right. it's Monday. Something <laughs> to look Monday. forward to. Truly, I was looking forward to it because there's not a whole lot going on at my house over here. Mike is home. He's working from home, which is really nice to have him here, although he's out of New York City. Thank God he's not there. A lot of his work colleagues that are still in the city are really homebound to small apartments. So I'm happy he's home here in Erie where we have a little fresh air, a little room to get out and walk around. We've been out out in the yard, but that's what's happening here. Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, Ellen's back from school because the university has been canceled for the rest of the semester. Uh, Last week I went into the woods with my son uh, for about five days and we just got back yesterday and we were like, well, we could have stayed longer, but it's either we sit there or we sit here. So, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the woods, 
What are you doing, Jesse? Oh, you know, just uh, keeping an eye on the cats, making sure they don't get in any mischief. <laughs> and lots, lots of media. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the last thing I'm doing. I'm sorry. It's just driving me crazy. It's the last thing. That's not bad. I, I, honestly, I just, I mean, I have not been on Facebook. I have been trying to shut it off. So. Oh, I meant TVs and movie. Uh, yeah, I have been watching a lot of stuff, though. <laughs> well, tell us what these TVs and movies are, Jesse. I don't know what that is. <laughs> oh, just a little bit of everything. Last, last night, uh, I FaceTimed my sister, who's in Nashville, and we found, like, the worst B-horror movie we could on Hulu, and we watched it. Nice. Uh, called Stung, about giant killer bees. <laughs> Uh, nice. Yeah, I'll just let you all look it up. <laughs> See what you think. We'll explore. We'll explore. It's our favorite pastime to watch bad B horror movies. I normally don't, but I watched one last Halloween called Summer Camp. You just watched mm. one this past week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I disagree. I disagree. Candyman is not a B-horror movie. Oh. I think it's... <laughs> All right. Well, sounds like we have plenty to debate later on. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I've just been working remotely and getting some final things done with Unearth. We just got um, the English and Spanish subtitles completed. And yeah, someday we okay. will... Ready to be printed there. to a DVD? Yeah, it's pretty much, I don't have any excuses left. So. <laughs> Get that thing on DVD. You know, that's how everyone watches movies now. That's right. So what about our Film Grain series? Uh, a, yeah, I had a question. What's going on with Film Grain? What's the updates? Film Grain is currently on hold, if you weren't aware. We've been trying to update people through Facebook, um, and also you should have gotten notifications from brown paper tickets if you've already purchased a ticket, but everything has been pushed back and paused as of now. I remember the first time we had this conversation at the Bourbon Barrel, and it was it just didn't seem real, and now here we are. We're going to be at least two months behind. I think our spring schedule is going to become most of our summer schedule. Well, as of this recording, we've pushed the return date back to Wednesday, May 6th for our film. And our first film back will be Knives Out. So like you said, stay tuned, watch our Facebook page. Hopefully that'll be sooner. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and then of course, you know, all your pre-sales and upcoming screenings are available through the website at the Film Society Northwest, filmsocietynwpa.org. So as we all know, movie theaters are closed across the United States, but you probably didn't know that 150,000 people are employed by working at movie theaters. And they're a huge part of movie lover. You know, we're all movie lovers. We go out to see movies at the theater because we want to see them when they're released. And that's just the traditional model. Um, but things are kind of changing. One of the things that's happening, which is very cool, some of the movies that otherwise would be in theaters are being released early on uh, streaming services like Apple Movies. We rented The Invisible Man the other night for $20. It I was saw 20, that. It was I... 20 bucks to rent. But I didn't know you could rent it. That's cool. You can, you can. And it was, it, was, it was awesome. I highly recommend it. You could wait till it's cheaper to rent, but we decided it's like going out to a movie theater. So 
you know, I mean, one of our favorite, favorite directors, Christopher Nolan, who's the director of Dunkirk, Inception, Dark Knight Trilogy, um, he just recently wrote an essay in the Washington Post where he said that theaters are a vital part of social life. We certainly miss them. When this crisis passes, the need for collective human engagement, the need to live and love and laugh and cry together will be more powerful than ever. And Absolutely. The combination of that pent up demand and the promise of new movies could boost local economies and contribute billions to our national economy. We don't just owe it to the 150,000 workers of the great American industry to include them in those that we help. We owe it to ourselves. We need what movies can offer us. I think this is a really great point. Movies, and I, I saw my aunt and a lot of people post things like this on Facebook where we all get, you know, a lot of our social support that the arts are what people turn to. You know, in times like this, it is the arts. So we can't go to the movie theaters, but we certainly can figure out ways to support movie making going forward. And if it's paying $20 to rent, you know, The Invisible Man, so be it. Um, but the other thing that's that, that you can do right now, which gives you maybe that social feeling, even though you're not allowed to be in the same physical space as somebody, is that Netflix has Netflix Party, which is an extension for Chrome. And you can use it to get your friends together and have a chat feature while you're watching movies. You can see each other. It looks really cool. I am tempted to host a Netflix party. Would any of you be interested in attending a Netflix party? I would. Depends you on would? the film. Yeah, well, well, yeah, it would for sure depend on the film. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm gonna give so I'm gonna give you a good opportunity. The movie that I am pitching for next week is on Netflix. So you have to watch it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so we should all watch it together. Is that so we should saying? all watch. That's we should all watch it together. All right, that'll be a good test. Uh, yeah. Just so you guys know, it'll be coming to um, other browsers as well. One of my friends is a lead programmer for Firefox, and they're working on one now too. So if you hate Chrome, you're gonna have other options. <laughs> <laughs> who hates chrome well then we're going to test this out and we'll let you guys know how it goes so another thing that got me thinking because um you know a lot of people are struggling uh during this crisis and got me thinking about independent artists and independent filmmakers specifically and i don't know if you guys have seen any other filmmakers posting recent things but i saw this one post it really kind of spoke, I thought, to the desperation of independent artists. Um, one of my friends posted, I won't say who it is, um, they're not local anyways, but they said, if you all went to, and they named a streaming platform, there's many platforms, um, and turned on an independent movie a day and just let it play all the way through in the background on your laptop, iPad, or phone, it will generate revenue for all of us. This is a free way to help one another out. And I thought that that really spoke to people that, you know, this is this is their bread and butter and they get paid per view, per click. And a really cool thing that uh, Erie Arts and Culture started doing uh, is stepping up for artists in our region with an emergency financial assistance fund. Um, which I encourage artists to apply to. And for those of us in the community that can make a donation, to please make a donation. Um, go to erieartsandculture.org, click programs and services in the navigation menu, and then select the emergency fund under capacity building to apply. 
And then the, at the bottom of that application page, you can find a contribution link um, to contribute to that fund. Um, and also, of course, if you're not already following your favorite local filmmakers on social media, please do so. Show them some love. Check out their films. Uh, it will definitely help all of us in these tough times. I mean, who are the local filmmakers? I know we've we've had a few on the podcast, but if I wanted to go follow where maybe we should just post that maybe we should have that available somewhere you know if you want to support local filmmakers here they are here are their names here's links to their websites links to their socials whatever it's a great idea we should yeah we should yeah have a master list let's get our master list out there so if you're curious you can uh you can know who to support. And if you're a filmmaker listening to this and we may not be on your radar or just to remind us, um, shoot us a message on Facebook to Greater Erie Film Office or Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania. And even though no one's out there shooting films, this is a great time to work on development or pre-production of any of your projects. So definitely get the creative juices flowing and take a crack at those projects you've all to write down and haven't had the time because now you have time. King Lear. Shakespeare wrote King Lear while in quarantine from the Black Plague. There you go. <laughs> so there's help. Yeah, really. Still, okay. I still got a chance. You still have a chance, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, I got a question for you. This is Aaron. Since we're not going to be seeing so many seats filled at theaters, will we see the return of drive-ins? Oh, so there is drive-ins. Yeah, yeah. I used to like drive-ins too. So there's a place in uh, Austin, Texas called the Blue Starlight Mini Urban Drive-In, and it is still open for business and screening South by Southwest shorts that lost their shot at the festival premiere. And so it's been a huge success that they had these screenings there. The filmmakers love them. And now that's actually part of, uh, I think, the status of being featured down there. But um, locally, there was a local attorney who just posted uh, on Facebook, I believe, the other night something about that he doesn't think the movie theaters will return after the crisis. And that is a sad statement. So I was curious, what do you guys think? Is there going to be a resurgence? Because I also know there's one in Fort Worth that I saw uh, not too long ago that was still open, but the weather's so nice down there and they've yeah. got, you know, different, uh, I guess, what would you say? The sunrise and sunsets a little different, but. Well, we have a local one, but it's only yeah. in the summer. Yeah. The sunset. But it's, I will say, it's packed every weekend. Everyone it, goes to it. It's super popular. I mean, the drive-ins were so much fun. I, When I was in high school, I think, I don't know, I think we all had the, Jesse, maybe you're a little young. It was still around when I was in high school. But at, at oh, the I went to the drive-in. Did you, but well, there was one Which at the one Peninsula. Still open. Yeah, the Peninsula. That's where I Peninsula saw for the drive first time. Godzilla with Matthew Broderick. Nice. Wow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> what a shitty movie. <laughs> but the thing was, yeah, we had to, to we had there. to watch uh, My Giant first, which I think had <laughs> Billy Crystal and the guy that played Lurch, I think. <laughs> what a shitty like that. We had we had to watch that before we could watch Godzilla, and then I think I fell asleep in Godzilla. Yeah. Oh, no. You know, Stu and Erica, what was your first drive-in movie? Um, Mine was Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Oh, what a good oh, drive-in movie. That is a, that's a great one. Wow. Mine was the only one at the Peninsula, but you know how the Peninsula had three screens, I think it was, that were set up in a triangle? 
That's mine, right. Yeah. I was in that third one looking over the fence. <laughs> <laughs> so your first was an adult movie. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I don't know how adult it was, but uh, you know, it, you know, that was a thing you did back then. So. <laughs> oh, right. They they actually didn't show like inappropriate movies down there, did they, Stu? I I don't think so. Yeah, they showed the devil. Well, no, my, because my, I was a kid. My sister, no, Elise said to me the other day. Elise and I, my sister, were walking. We were just talking about this, and she said, "I remember when we were younger, going down by there, and there was an adult movie on there." I'm like, "No, they didn't show adult movies. That was like public. Anybody could see it." And you're saying, "Yes, was I wrong? They showed adult movies." Yep, they did. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, let's see. I went the I mean, first time like I went. Super, I don't know. I don't know what you would say. I mean, you know, today what they would call uh pornography back in the what was that been for me like the 80s uh-huh. uh you know that is what they call regular stuff in your r-rated movie now okay All you know right. what i'm saying yeah That's true. yeah i feel like it was a lot more common in normal movies i mean it was definitely taboo and it was bizarre that it was happening in the first place but it happened <laughs> wow yeah so saucy Nowadays. Nowadays, we can't even show a same-sex kiss in a Star Wars movie for one second <laughs> on screen. Oi. <laughs> so. Maybe, you know what? Maybe this will change all of that, too. You know? Maybe we'll just refocus our, our energies on more important things as opposed to complaining about same-sex kissing in 2020. <laughs> I don't think theaters will make a comeback either there in the drive-in. I think everyone's just going to stay at home and get bigger TVs. I think there's always going to be a place for the theater in the release structure uh, for yeah. Hollywood, for sure. Um, yeah. It's so important to their, you know, the box office sales are kind of the driving force, maybe, especially with the big studios. Maybe they're testing it now with $20 Invisible Man. Who knows? Oh, they're for sure testing it, for yeah. sure. I mean, Disney and, and Marvel, they have 75% of the top box office movies every year now. So they're definitely watching it with disney plus mm-hmm. yeah we started on that <laughs> <laughs> my friend like it, huh? see a quiet place too we have to wait yeah i mean i i have to see big movies in the in the theater uh, yeah it's well, not the yeah. same at home yeah exactly no i totally agree so I adam like williams it. i disagree yeah adam williams i also disagree i like going to the theater when sometimes all you want to see is a huge screen and the great sound. I mean, my I don't have like this incredible home theater system. I have a television with like no additional audio support. I want the sound. The big screen. That's surprising knowing Mike. You'd be surprised. I think you'd be surprised Maybe about, I would. <laughs> about Mike and his uh, his preferences. He, he 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 will watch a movie on his phone you know oh. he just oh, like, i can't he, do that i'm with john yeah. I, I need the screen <laughs> and i will say Damn. i've gone to a lot of uh movie premieres at the theater and when you have a big crowd that's energetic about the the film it really adds like a whole nother layer for I mean, sure. some some people, oh, yeah. they, they don't care about that kind of thing. But when everyone is invested in the film and everyone laughs and gasps and sighs, it, it's it's great. I love it. You get that I, at our film series, too. Um, I do. Well, that's why that's I keep coming point. back. Well, that's a great point, John, because 
that is what I think the future is. If it's not people sitting at home on their couches eating whatever they want, it's having an experience around going out. You know, so going to a theater, if that's not enough for people, if it doesn't compete enough, well, what about going out and having an experience where you talk to people, you meet new people, you eat dinner, you socialize, you watch a movie, and then you discuss it afterwards. Um, yeah. That, that yeah. to me is, is what wins in the end. You, you still want to leave the house. You still want to participate in society and culture. I think we all feel that way. And I think, you know, I hate to say it again, but I think everyone being locked up inside with this pandemic will really reframe the way we think about our opportunities to go out and to be in public and it's, to reach out yeah. and touch someone. <laughs> yeah. I will throw out one, one more thing that maybe for me selfishly would be best case scenario. Cause say you are a married couple and you have one kid, right? To go out and see a movie and pay for those three seats with this $20 deal on the new movie and kids, I would imagine don't give a shit about great, you know, visual and audio experience. They just want to watch the same Disney movie 20 times, right? Right. I would say maybe that part of the market would go more towards home, but then maybe that would open it up more for the adult experience at the theater instead of babysitting. That would be my hope as a money saving family, money saving mm -hmm. situation. Mm hmm. I guess we'll I don't know. Out. I have kids. I can't comment. <laughs> I'm not a parent. <laughs> we need, yeah, we no, need to phone someone. Correct. I would definitely go that route. Right, Stu? Like, if you had two or three kids, I mean, you weigh, what, 40 bucks versus 20, you know? Totally. Yeah, they can build a billow for it and pop popcorn. You can then get it the way you want it. <laughs> <laughs> and that way, when we're watching a movie, we don't have to be like, oh, my God, they brought that three-year-old to this R-rated horror movie? That's Seriously, and that's oh my we've God. talked about that before. Oh, my we God. Did. Ruined we did. Ruined experience for... Uh, one of the alien films. Yeah. I don't know. I think I told you before, I couldn't believe there was an adult who brought a child to the movie Eight Millimeter, which is about snuff films. Yeah. Yes. God. It's <laughs> mean, it unbelievable. Doing? I was too young to say something, but this other woman walked right over. It was a man. It was a dad and a young girl. And she read him the riot act. I would do the same now, but then I was too young to. You know. Yeah, that movie was dark. It is not. I mean, most people don't want to watch that movie, let alone children in the... <laughs> oh, my God. It's horrible, oh. horrible, horrible. People. People! So, yeah, the theater experience, you know, I would never want to give up the theater experience, but it's obvious, you know, that you know, home viewing and streaming is what's going to be happening. But yeah. I know it's big now, but I just, I don't know. My prediction is people are going to want to be out in public and they won't take that for granted anymore. Instead of saying, oh, I just want to go home. I just want to go home. I just want to go home. I think maybe for a while, when this comes to an end, everyone will be dying to get back out there. But I, I think it will level off mm, as time okay. goes on. Which lead us into our next section that we're going to talk about. One film, one series. This is a new little project pilot that we've decided to talk about. And yeah, we decided last week that each week in our podcast, we're going to discuss one film and one series. 
and recommend them to each other. We watch and then discuss on the podcast. So last week we decided that we were going to watch the movie Candyman and the Hulu streaming series Devs. So we're going to chat about that and then we're going to invite you into the conversation on Facebook after after the podcast is released. So that's the background of what we're doing. So now I'll turn it over to Jesse. Jesse, tell us, why did you pick Candyman? Well, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm in the minority here. When, when I was little, everyone played Bloody Mary, you know, where you go and look in the mirror and say Bloody Mary and she sh- appears behind you. Th- this yes. was the movie version of that when we were a kid. And it really scared me. But when I rewatched it recently, I noticed there's just some depth to it. A little bit more than, you know, your Freddy Krueger and your Michael Myers. You had this very tragic villain who uh, was wronged in life and was killed. But then he comes back and he starts killing people. And then there's this weird love theme uh, going through the story. I just ate it up. I, yeah, it's a little campy. It was made in 92, some of the effects you know, what have you, they, they may not be up to snuff, but I thought the performances were great. And it, it really shined as a Clive Barker story, which is what the movie started was a short story by Clive Barker. So if you're familiar with Hellraiser and all the other horror stories he's written, I think this one nailed it. And the reason I suggested it is because it is about to be, or there's a sequel coming out, a sequel to the original, there were some older sequels, like a two and a three, that were not good at all. But this is going back to the original. <laughs> Tony Todd is coming back. He's coming back as the Candyman. Whoa. And when I heard about this, I'm like, who in today's film industry would really nail like a racially fueled horror movie? And immediately who came to mind was Jordan Peele. That's right. Get Out. He's just killing it on that front, and he's actually the writer of this film. So I'm very excited to see what they do with the new one. And anyone who has not seen the original, if you're looking for some some good scares, I would suggest going back and watch it. But I'm really excited to hear what you guys all thought of it. Well, I can tell you that the only thing that you said in that last statement that was true was that Clive Barker was the playwright. (laughs) <laughs> that it's gotta be one of the most candy ass like wow i don't know i just hope. oh my god oh, i mean virginia madsen first of all couldn't act her way out of a plastic bag <laughs> i love anything I love that has Andrew berkeley in it i mean come on he's the b-movie king and yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> So it didn't do it for you <laughs> no so Stu's on the a fan of horror you know and yeah. it was just typical, like, you know. Do you have any horror movies that you, you do think are not bad? So I can get a sense oh, of where whole, you are on the spectrum. That's a whole different podcast. Yeah, but let's keep focused. Keep focused on right. Alien. Alien, alien of a horror flick? I don't know. Alien's great. I appreciate yeah, it. Alien is a horror movie. I don't know. I just, I did not see, I just, you know, I started watching this because I know I watched it before, back when it probably first came out. And I'm just like, oh, it's just, it's just your typical, which I'd almost call it an eighties, but it's not, it's nineties, early nineties, yeah. but they oh, all got gotcha. that same look gotcha. with the same lighting and the same music background with the same uh-huh. cast. And if you see, like I said, the dude, Xander Berkeley, he's the professor, uh, yeah. the husband, you know, you're just like, I, 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 so anyway, would you yeah. think, did you like it? Well, okay. I had never seen this movie. 
because I'm not a big horror person. So <laughs> me looking back at a movie from the early 90s, I had this in mind that I was like, well, this isn't going to be that scary. You know, it's like early 90s. It's going to be, you know, pre-Scream era. I, I just thought I'm not going to be scared by this. And at the end of the day, I wasn't. <laughs> it was not a scary movie. It did have some jump out scary moments, right? It had the slasher vibe of like guy with a hook hand, that's bloody hook, you know? It had some of that that slasher stuff going on. I wasn't very scared by it at all, but I thought I actually really enjoyed it. I can totally see why. And I watched it through the lens that Jesse kind of, you know, set the scene for, which is Jordan Peele is redoing this movie. So when I was watching it, I'm like, oh my God, I can totally see why Jordan Peele would want to redo this movie. It's got this historical love vibe of, of this man, you know, who fell in love with a white woman and was murdered by the townsfolk, you know, this whole thing. I can totally see it. So I'm really excited to see the new one because I'm sure the new one is going to be absolutely terrifying. Uh, because it'll be done so much better and in a much more <laughs> psychological way than this one, which literally just has the, you know, jump out from behind the, you know, the door kind of, kind of fear. But it also had some really, so Stu, you didn't like the lighting, but I actually thought some of the visuals were pretty cool. I mean, the movie starts with that like aerial shot of Chicago, which was very cool. Like it was an, it was a neat intro into the movie, kind of get the sense of like, okay, we're in Chicago, right? Well, Cabrini Green, where they shot that, that is like the ghetto of old Chicago. They've torn it down now, but it was this, it was a real you know, place. And so that was really, I think part of the the Jordan Peele, you know, uphill, I guess you can say in that too, is there's definitely some some class stuff going on where, you know, you have just this this broken down building full of people who are forgotten by society. Mike wants me to tell everybody that Philip Glass composed the score and how incredible it is because it was a very early Philip Glass, but it really, really uh, struck the right uh, chord, if you will. But anyway, I just, I really, I liked it because it, I saw it, like I get, like I said, it, I saw it through the lens of society. I saw it through the lens of someone looking at it from 2020 in the woke culture that we have now, in the kind of expectation for horror that we have now, a whole different approach to African-Americans in filmmaking. I agree with Sue that Virginia Madsen is a terrible actress, but she is beautiful and she has a wonderful chest. She just is gorgeous throughout the whole movie and has lovely, you know, I'm I can appreciate this, okay? As the only female in this group, I can say she has a beautiful set of breasts. I can see how a young Jesse might get really excited by that. <laughs> no, uh, honestly, the the scares in the film, I didn't, I guess I didn't uh, equate this film to like the traditional scary movies of the time. It was more that the character was just this force that she could not get away from. And the scene when she's in the, she she's like strapped down to the table right and he's in the room and he like flies under the bed and she's uh. like he's in here he's in here and then they review the footage and he's not in the footage that was the mm -hmm. first time I had seen an effect like that on screen and it really like unsettled me I was like oh my gosh like no matter what she does like they're never gonna get away from him mm -hmm. I was at the impressionable age that this all frightened me it wasn't super frightening it was creepy though it was creepy. He has that voice, you know. I think he's very charming. Yeah, he's cool. Yeah. 
I was actually reading today that they apparently for those scenes where he would appear to her, they they had like an onset hypnotist to try and set them in like this suggestive state. And then he would come in with his big monologues and dialogue and kind of like overpower her. I don't know wow. if it really added a lot to the film, but I, I can kind of feel it in the scenes that they're in well, together. Well, they intentionally said that, I mean, with the lighting and with her, her eyes and yeah, yeah, you can tell. I mean, I you I had no idea they had anything going on behind the scenes there. I like it. I like I, just, I like I can't it. wait to see Jordan Peele tackle it. this. I know. Well, I got I gotta chime in. Uh yes. so just so you guys know, Jordan Peele is producing and he's one of three co-writers on the film, but we really, really have to give um proper credit to Nia DaCosta, who's actually directing the movie. Oh, um, okay. And she is, She's a black woman and she's also co-writing with Jordan Peele. And I think, you know, producers, of course, they wrangle the talent um, and have, you know, kind of a hold on the production as a whole. But the director, the writer-director combination, I think is really important in this situation. And Nia DaCosta, uh, I, I've mentioned her before, but she has her first feature that she ever did that just came out um, last year is called Little Woods and you can watch it on Hulu. So this is just her second feature film and she's getting this big project. So I think wow. um, we got to give a big shout out to Nia DaCosta because obviously for Jordan Peele to, to hire her for this project after just one feature is huge. Yeah, that's so great. Just, go Nia. Go Nia. Yeah. Um, I was really, you know, watching it. I had never seen it before um, like Erica. And the thing that I was most excited about watching the film was that it's like so ready to be remade and updated. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I had I thought it was very problematic uh, personally. Oh yeah, That's I didn't quite get it. I didn't really um, understand why Candyman keeps hurting black people. I didn't understand what that message was. Feels like it's a bit of a white savior thing. Um, you know, the director of the film was a white male, and I felt like they were focusing a lot on um, Virginia's character. I don't remember the character's name. Hell I would have wanted to see, and I really think they will dive into this a lot in the remake, I want to see a lot more of the origin of Candyman and see kind of Candyman's experience more than, you know, having a white lady come into the projects and try and save the day kind of thing. Oh, um, yeah. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I was, was really pissed when Bernadette died. Sorry to spoiler. Um, but I was like, why did Bernadette have to die? I know. I know. <laughs> no, me too. Me too. I was bummed. I, I think you're right. It's, it's, it could be so much better. So I think ultimately I was disappointed, but there was a lot that I liked, Jesse. Like, I would say the whole setup of the movie, I was really excited. Like the whole first half hour. I love how they had um, like the choir and the chorus in the soundtrack mm -hmm. and it made it very yeah. like, angelic. And then you had all of these overhead shots, kind of like God's eye view looking down on everyone. And I really liked how they were kind of showing life in the housing projects and how everyone was ignored until a white woman was hurt. Um, well, the, the theme that I got from it was that she was kind of 
she was taking the place of the woman he loved when he was alive. Oh yeah, I I get that. Yeah, for sure. I just thought that personally, I didn't have a. I thought it was such a great opportunity to have a strong emotional connection to Candyman and not necessarily to her. I mean, I understand. Yeah, he was he was replacing, um, you know, the tragedy that he faced. It was funny that you that Stu you mentioned. Act, the actor that was playing Trevor, I thought he was like so one-dimensional, so disinterested. <laughs> I know. When, when he finds her on the kitchen floor and she's like all bloody, he, his face is just like total annoyance, which I was just like, <laughs> oh my god! Like Come I on, literally look at like mess. Yeah, been I laughed a lot at of stuff, though, man. He has been in a lot of stuff. Oh yeah, but he was he was just a one one uh, one note guy. Yeah, That's what do you right. call that? Uh, I forget the, the term. A sociopath. Yeah, I thought the stuff with the bear tracker. <laughs> the stuff with the bees was um, super cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just would have liked to see Candyman's origin story, and I'm just really excited to see the remake. <laughs> they do yeah. show more of it in the two sequels that have been made, but I again do not recommend watching them. <laughs> I will wait. I'm gonna wait too. <laughs> Definitely worth the wait. All right, so that's Jay, there's a new Jay and Silent Bob out that you know. <laughs> it's all fair game here. Yeah, it is, and it's all whatever you like, you know. So, and what about Erica's pick for series? Okay, so guys, I'm assuming you've all watched this, so. All right, I picked the um, FX for Hulu series called Devs. Um, Devs is directed by, written and directed completely by Alex Garland, and he did Annihilation and Ex Machina. So Mike definitely turned me on to this. Um, but when I heard that, you know, he, the director did Annihilation and Ex Machina, I was totally into it because Annihilation is probably one of my favorite movies of the past few years. We screened it at Film Grain he does really great female characters and Devs is no exception to this. Um, it stars Zenoya Mizuno um, and Nick Offerman. Also Alison Pill from Sharp Objects, at least that's how I think of her, <laughs> from Sharp Objects. It kind of takes place, you know, in present day, but the technology and some of the things that they're doing in this, in this series are beyond what we currently are doing today. Uh, but it's about quantum computing. So it's this super big tech company led by an eccentric hippie from Northern California. You know, they're in Silicon Valley. It's a very typical, um, it's a very typical big tech uh, setup. Critics, I think, of how technology has kind of hurt communities is absolutely, you know, apparent in this in this show and they pointed out you know they're in they're in the mission district of San Francisco which used to be a almost exclusively ethnic latino neighborhood in San Francisco and over the past 15 years has just that entire community has just been pushed out and the area has been gentrified and now they have buses that take google employees from the mission down to you know the google campus down in mountain view so, I mean, that is all very realistic. You know, they're in Mission Dolores Park. It's all part of that San Francisco vibe that's so laid back and cool. And yet you've got the homeless guy that sleeps on your porch. You know him by name. You talk when you leave and you come home. That is that is so real. That is so very real. 
Um, but what isn't really real is <laughs> what they're doing down there at a company. It's called Amaya. It's named after the founder's daughter who passed away. And you know, you learn about this through the unfolding of the series. I don't know, like we watched three episodes of it. So I don't think it gives too much away to say that it's focused on this couple, um, Lily and Sergey. And in the first episode, Sergey presents something really exciting to the founder of the company. And he says, we want to bring you into devs, our development team. And the development team is in this whacked out, cool, you know, space age, um, <laughs> glowing, vibrant, moving um, sci-fi building out in the middle of the woods where they go and do all of their quantum computing work. And he's invited onto that team. And then he's promptly murdered by the CEO, well, the CEO's team. And you find out that he has been working with Russian intelligence and he was the spy. And Lily, uh, his girlfriend, learns all of this stuff. And that kind of sets the, it's all in the first episode, kind of saying, this is what's happening here. You have a crazy CEO doing quantum computing and this very, very cool um, company doing incredible things. And she is now solving solving the uh, the mystery of her boyfriend's, what she comes to, to find out is, is his murder. So um, after three episodes, I'm very curious of all your thoughts, but for me, I am totally hooked. I love it. The acting is incredible. Um, Nick Offerman is terrifying. Just the way that he looks in his eyes, he's got this deep ocean of just fear and sadness and insanity. Um, it's awesome. He's incredible. I only ever think of him as from Parks and Rec. So this is a big change for him. The set design and the soundtrack. Oh my God. Incredible. Incredible. You know, it's really the whole premise. I mean, on a high level, if you read what Alex Garland has to say about it, it's really about you know, do we live in a universe that is determined or indetermined? And if we live in a universe that is determined, then everything has a reason and a cause and there is no free will. So anything that has happened in the past or in the future, well, that's meant to be. So don't think that you have any choice in the matter. <laughs> Therefore, don't invest anything emotionally into anything. Um, so that's the question I think that is posed by the show. And it's so like up here and ethereal and esoteric that I'm so into it. I am so along for the ride. And, and, um, Sonoya Mizuno as Lily, she plays the lead. She is an incredible actress. She's almost androgynous. You know, she's, she's slight and she has very, very short haircut. She's, which I like it because it in no way focuses on any kind of, now maybe this is me as a woman. So I'll, I'll say that sometimes I feel like female lead characters still get caught up in this attractiveness factor. And Sonoya is beautiful, but her character is, is this very androgynous yet feminine character. So you can get on board with her, but you're not distracted. You're not distracted by it. Do you know what I mean, guys? Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, for sure. Okay, I mean, if you okay. look at his other um, work, he definitely, you know, you look at, Alicia Vikander and uh, Ex Machina right. and Natalie Portman and, you know, the women in Annihilation. Yeah, it's it's definitely, um, I wouldn't say he has a type, but definitely he's not concerned with, um, you know, the traditional sex appeal 
uh, yeah. kind of casting. Um, just amazingly talented, smart, beautiful women. Yeah. That's right. That's right. She's incredible. Uh, I I really love it. Like this show checks all the boxes <laughs> for me. Um, like 28 minutes into it, I I was like completely sold um, in, in episode one. I've watched mm-hmm. the first four episodes. So I know we were just going to watch the first three, but I couldn't stop. Um, kind of commenting on what you were saying Erica with uh, Nick Offerman's character like these are very complex central characters Um, they're like I mean just in three episodes they're so well developed and complicated and um, you know sometimes morally ambiguous like Forrest who's Nick Offerman's characters uh, he had a couple lines that I thought kind of uh, summed up part of him very well. He said, I don't give two fucks about national security. And he also at one point said, I don't even think about the environment. So he's like, he's he's so interesting because he's locked in the past. And so is his um, company not giving anything mm-hmm. away. But he's mm-hmm. so focused on, you know, the passing of uh, his daughter and the symbol that's kind of this giant statue that's... yeah overlooking the entire campus of this company Mm -hmm. um, is like this child captured in a state of wonder um, is at least the expression that I feel when I see um, that image. And I thought that that's an interesting comment maybe on like humanity today and our fascination with devices and the next shiny object, which um, you were talking about where the devs work, which is literally like this gold pulsing (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's incredible. Part, like the entire it's time it's so incredible it's interesting how I mean Erica you've you've been more in I mean I've always worked in IT but you've been the closest out of any of us into like um, tech culture startup culture and I mm-hmm. thought it was interesting in the job interview that they were asking really personal questions about relationships and religious beliefs uh-huh. um and how kind of once you buy into this culture, they have ownership basically over all aspects of the employees' lives. Yep. And tech culture kind of demands that you're all in. It's kind of like a religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's such a self-contained environment. Um, you're all comatose, I remember somebody saying. Uh, uh-huh. Actually, it was... It was the older character, the older programmer said this oh, yeah. young, like you're all comatose. And I thought um, with the lead actress, like they really have the look and the demeanor down of people that are in IT. Like I could just oh, yeah. go on and on. Like well, I really <laughs> love, I love everything about this show. So no, far. it's so good. It's so good. And I think you're right, John, but add on top of that, that these are quantum computing programmers. They are people who live in this world of physics and they're they're tapping into some very very deep uh science that that i think your average programmer your average tech you know worker is not on that level um i think that there's probably a better balance in most like if you talk to a developer and when i say developer i mean like a coder somebody who writes writes code right the way they talk about development in this show is development is their new cool secret projects 
and the devs are the people who work in that. But I mean, in in my work, you would call someone a dev who's a developer as in someone who's writing code. So the way they, they use the terms kind of, you know, conflicts a little bit with, with, you know, my vocabulary, but I think you're absolutely right. But add on top of all of those things, you know, the, the deeply nerdy scientific thought of quantum, you know, we're talking about like the universe and time and um, all the really cool things that most people don't ever think about because they're just too big to think about. The ideas are just too big, too wild. Um, We're making it sound like it's a really geeky show and I want to jump out and do what <laughs> Jesse and Stu think, but really it is, it's like a murder mystery and it keeps you continually guessing, uh, which is pretty great. And one last thing I will say at the end of episode two, there's this unique bone breaking moment that will not leave my memory for some time. And oh I'll yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I love it. I watched the first three episodes just today because I wanted it fresh in my mind. And so far I, I'm, I'm enjoying everything about it. The things I noticed, um, right off the bat were like the kind of divine aesthetics that they're ascribing to not just the mm. culture of the tech industry, but this particular computer where they treat it as kind of this holy relic that gives them like this divine information where their, their coders don't even really do anything but sit in front of the screens and look at the code, almost like the Matrix feed. And they're <laughs> somehow learning these esoteric secrets of the universe that just brings them to tears, which I love. I think that's a really cool idea. And they're, I, I can't wait to see more of the, the quantum... Uh, elements like I, I feel like they're gonna seep out into the show like the thing I noticed right off the bat was the the homeless guy he looks just like Nick Offerman and the first thing he says when the two when the couple leaves for work is go out and be your best selves I think they're trying to paint the picture that in, in quantum mechanics there's there's the flip side to every person and situation and that you know Nick Offerman who's the head of the company could also be you know, a homeless person. Really he looks cool. homeless. That's exactly. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. He, think, he looks like deliberate. a homeless person. Yeah. And he eats with his hands. I mean, right at the, right in the first half hour, you know, he's sitting in this meeting and he's like eating salad with his hands and his straggly <laughs> hair is like going down his face and he drives an old Subaru, you know, he's just like, he, he definitely has his look about him, but yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing I'm curious about and kind of anticipating is um, Alison Pill made the comment that one of the rules is we only ever look backward going off of what John said, where everyone's kind of invested only in the past. Mm -hmm. But I feel like this device that they've made is going to have the power to do projections into the future. And mm -hmm. I'm an anticipating that someone, someone's going to start to use it that way and it's gonna have massive ripples in this universe. So yeah, that's what Time I'm waiting for. Yes. I mean, I don't wanna say too much, but don't. I will say, well, <laughs> all I'm gonna say is some of the things that it is creepy and amazing, some of the things that that you become, uh, you know, that that happen in this space, okay? They're in this big, 
a magical glowing golden box. <laughs> Some of the things that occur there are just mind blowing. And you're like, wow, you know, I, I, Jesse, I'm with you. I think that they're going to start seeing things into the future. Um, not just the past. Yeah. Well, and they, they seem kind of unchecked. Like they, they have this uh-huh. grand power and the whole place just feels like a big temple. Like, yes, it's, it's like sacred. Yes. And there's definitely some, you know, it raises a lot of philosophical questions and morality questions. And mm-hmm. in the midst of all that, you have this uh, underdog character who might be trying to challenge it, who you find out very quickly is a lot more capable than she seems. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the first episode, you didn't even know she was the lead. Mm-hmm. At the end of the second episode, you think like maybe she's just going to go along with it. By the end of the third episode, you realize she's kind of like taking matters into her own hands. So absolutely, I, I'm really excited to see where she goes. Yep, I can't wait for you to see the fourth episode. Okay, no, I'm gonna watch it too. No, I I actually just rewatched the third episode this afternoon because I had fallen asleep watching the other <laughs> watching it before, and it was like kicking into the fourth, and I'm like, no, 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 can't watch it. Gotta wait. <laughs> Stu, you don't have Hulu, right? Uh, I don't, and I was uh, out of town anyways in, in the middle of the woods, so I had DSL and nothing streams out there, so we were only watching DVDs this entire past week. That's okay. You're forgiven, Stu. I could only send Stu one-word messages at a time <laughs> on his DSL connection. Well, so just to, just to recap Candyman is on Netflix and Devs is um, a weekly series new episodes come out on Thursdays and it's on Hulu and that yes. leads us into what we're going to watch this week Erica what do you have yes. for us for a film okay so this is lighthearted. it's fun it is called Dumplin' It's on Netflix. It's from 2018, so it's somewhat recent. It stars Jennifer Aniston. And um, yes, so Jennifer Aniston plays, she's kind of the supporting character, okay? She's, her daughter is um, a plus-size young woman and has always, um, you know, helped her mother because her mother's a former pageant queen and now she's a pageant director. And her daughter has always helped out, but she's decided she is going to enter the pageant. And it's a movie about, um, you know, bigger girls getting involved. And it's a really body positive comedy, heartwarming kind of fairy tale. I I haven't seen it. I saw the trailer. I was so enchanted by it. I loved the music. It's got Dolly Parton all over it. And so I have chosen Dumplin' on Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) as our movie this week and i will be scheduling a watch for the four of us together so be ready guys we are watching it together it's gonna be fun (laughs) it's gonna be fun guys all right well then as far as our series so i went a different route i picked a limited series um so there's only 15 episodes and i picked a documentary series um Stu, I know, has seen um, some of this. Uh, To me, this one really, the best way I can sum it up is it's like film school in 15 hours. And it really um, gave me a great perception on 
all types of films around the world and kind of putting them together. And I thought it was a good way to tie into um, the Lumiere film uh, that we talked about at the top of the show that's just turned 125 years. So my pick is The Story of Film, an Odyssey, which is on Hulu. And it's an epic journey through the history of cinema. It's guided by film historian Mark Cousins, who is, if you want to know a know-it-all in film, Mark Cousins knows this medium inside and out. Uh, all the small filmmakers, the big filmmakers, everything is covered in the series. Looking at just the first three episodes, uh, we will be watching The Birth of Cinema, The Hollywood Dream, which takes place, of course, in America in the Roaring Twenties, and The Golden Age of World Cinema, which is also the Twenties in Paris, Berlin, Moscow, Shanghai, and Tokyo. That one. So, what's that? I remember episode three. That was really good. Okay. Yeah, so um, it's basically a guided film tour through history led by Mark Cousins, and I'm really happy it's on Hulu. I actually bought this on Amazon uh, right after I saw it because I knew I would always want to refer back to it. Um, so I'm happy it's on Hulu and you guys can watch it. Awesome. That sounds right I'm up looking, my alley. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure well, Mike wow. would love to watch with me too. Yes, oh. we, I'd like to interject something here. Perhaps maybe because these critiques, we have a, uh, Mike Berlin, Erica, your husband. Uh, hey, 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 hey. What are you about to say? Oh, <laughs> man, this guy has got some of the best critiques on film and episodes <laughs> ever, I think. I think we maybe need to invite him in on a few of these discussions. Oh, sure. Sometimes is like on point. So, and that's I so think funny. He's sitting right next to you right now, and you're telling him to <laughs> shut up as he's trying to like tell you what to say. No, he's not now, but he tried to earlier, and I gave him the shush. Um, but yeah, that's a great idea. So, it's funny, you know, Mike and I, this is just a side note, but you know, Mike being, you know, your film school guy, he got his degree in cinema, like truly, truly in his mind, he thinks about things from that old historical, you know, cinema major perspective. And so when the two of us talk about movies, <laughs> it's funny because he always has really interesting perspectives that I don't think about. But then I think he, you know, he hears things from my point of view that, of um, that he wouldn't, he wouldn't think of. So I, I think we could invite him on. You're very complimentary to one another. That's awesome. Oh, well, okay. Well, then if we want to include him, I think we could. I think we could. I think we should take advantage of the fact that Mike Berlin is in Erie, is in Erie for the foreseeable future. And I'm talking maybe months. So That sounds awesome. That's been our episode. Check out Candyman on Netflix and Devs on Hulu, and let us know what you think in the comment section on Facebook. Make sure you follow us on social media. You'll find all the tags and links in the show notes for this episode. Until next time, this was Film Grain. <laughs>